I noticed something about religion, hello everyone, that truly disturbs me. I think that forgiveness has been misdefined by many religionists. For example, a lot of times they feel that they have to suppress their humanity and repress their humanity. To suppress their emotions and to repress their emotions. To suppress their thoughts, to repress their thoughts. Because they're so big on, I want to forgive others, that they confuse forgiveness for enabling self-destructive behavior. They they conflate forgiveness with coddling self-destructive behavior. So, So they feel like to be a good Christian, I have to get along with everybody, which is not what Jesus is supposed to have said when he said the world will hate you. Simply because you follow me. I'm paraphrasing him. So when we define our priceless self-worth based upon how many people give us so-called approval, then that, that those are forms of self-hatred because they're so big on, I don't want to be bitter when it comes to other people, but you're comfortable wallowing in your own self-bitterness, your own self-malice, your own self-unforgiveness. Why do you want to have a toxic relationship with yourself when you can be a positive person that has a positive relationship with yourself? Why do you want to be your own toxic person? And I've learned that you can forgive someone and still dislike them. Um... You can forgive someone, that, but forgiveness doesn't stop wrongdoing. Forgiveness does not stop sinning. People have to stop themselves from wrongdoing, and people have to stop themselves from sinning because when people feel traumatically and evilly entitled to your presence, your aura, your energy, your time, and your attention, then... You're actually forcing yourself to struggle with forgiveness because in their, in their depraved psyches, I'm going to keep giving you more to forgive. And that's how a lot of people treat God. I'm going to sin ahead of time and just give God more to forgive. So if you allow people to take advantage of you, then you are stimulating that it's okay to try to take advantage of God which according to biblical theology is sinful in and of itself. So I had to really learn that mental illness is an illegitimate excuse to permit harming other people, harming self and harming our global society. And some believe and some false believers will say will misconstrue mental illness for it's okay to 
hypocrite against God, which is harming God. What I mean by that is some people who have mental illnesses, they have enough cognizance to know that they're capable of taking medication and stopping their their misbehavior. They're choosing not to, and they Christianize it. So then I've learned that I can forgive you and not have you regain access to my life. I don't have to be around you to forgive. I don't have to be in, I don't have to call you to forgive. I don't have to text you to forgive. I don't have to video chat you to forgive. I don't have to instant message you to, to forgive. I don't have to DM you to forgive. I don't have to post a reel, a story, or on my timeline to forgive. I can forgive you and set boundaries. Because what you don't want to do is permit wrongdoing to happen to you under the false guise of forgiveness, G-Y-S-E. Because a lot of times people have been taught that they have to suppress their emotions like no. You don't have to so you don't have to censor your emotions. You don't have to demonize your emotions. You don't have to minimize your pain. You don't have to demonize your pain. You don't have to overlook wrongdoing as a false form of forgiveness. You don't have to pretend that that person is not doing wrong as another false form of forgiveness. So I can forgive you from a distance. I can love you from a distance. I don't have to parade my forgiveness. Look at how not bitter I am. Look at me, dear Father, Lord, God. I don't have to do any of that. And I've really learned um, that a lot of times conflict avoidance has been Christianized. Like, I don't have to be a lion, a, a roaring lion every time I'm in conflict, but I also don't have to be a shrinking violet when it comes to conflict either. There's a balance. I don't have to be a gangster in each conflict but I don't have to be a moral coward in each conflict either. So what I learned is for myself that if you choose to forgive, understand that it's okay to still dislike that person because they keep purposely harming other people, purposely harming themselves, purposely harming our global society. And what I had to learn from that situation was forgiveness does not mean that I don't dish out appropriate consequences that are not too strict nor too lenient. A lot of times people think forgiveness is the absence of consequences, the absence of absence of pain, the absence of wrong and wrongdoing, the absence of unnecessariness, and none of that is true. 
forgiveness means that I'm not going to make you God over me. But what I will not do is let you doormat me for fun. You know, you can experience grace and mercy in solitary confinement. You can experience redemption and repentance in prison. Um, A lot of times people think that if I forgive you, everything should go back to normal. Forgive and forget. I don't believe in forgive and forget. You can forgive, but don't pretend that you have amnesia about all the life lessons that you learned from the trials and the traumatic trials and traumatic tribulations that occurred. So, um, so some people have some trauma survivors based upon their situation, circumstances, some forgive and some don't. Now, some people would automatically quit that bitterness. I don't because tra- trauma, people heal from trauma differently. People um, have diverse forms of restoration, so to speak. So what I've learned to do in regards to, you know, people's pain is if I had to, cho- I had to choose to understand that some people find alternative forgiveness. They just don't let it control their life. And they still, you know, have good medical and dental results. And they're still positive people. They just say, I don't allow it to consume me, even though they choose to not forgive. And some people feel like forgiveness is what they need to heal. And, and both are okay. Both are valid. And what I've learned to do is understand that forgiveness has gray areas. Repentance and redemption, mercy, grace, compassion, empathy, and sympathy, they all have gray areas. None of them are cookie-cutter, cut and dry, you know. And um, I also learned with forgiveness that it's not my job to repent for other people. I can only repent for myself. It's not my job to... Um, make amends on behalf of others because I did no wrong I can only make amends for what I've done wrong you know because other people can't make amends for me I gotta make amends for myself and a lot of times people overvalue forgiving others and don't value at all forgiving themselves so how can I How can you give to others, but you lack it for you? You lack it against you, actually. And then I've learned um, with forgiveness that anger and bitterness are not the same. One is constructive and productive, and the other is destructive, right? So I have learned that A lot of people are so scared not to have um, bitterness and malice toward others, but they invite the bitterness and malice of others to occur against themselves, which I've always found to be extremely problematic. 
It's a form... Self-hypocrisy is a form of self-hatred. Self-deception is also another form of self-hatred. So when I think about everything that has happened, you know, this all relates to healing religious trauma that I suffer from. Because I learned that there's a middle ground between forgiveness and justice. And I've learned to never repress justice, never suppress justice. And a lot of times in church, many people suppress repentance and repress repentance. They censor repentance because they censor justice. And then I figured out that I don't have to be close to people that I forgive. I don't have to be cool with people that I forgive because... I've learned that I can forgive you and still call the cops on you for the crimes that you've committed and have you prosecuted and play a role in your prosecution. Um, Consequences are a beautiful gift. They're not an ugly toleration that we have to endure because I love all correction tools. I love healthy correction. I love healthy wrath, too. I love life's forms of healthy revenge. Not all revenge is bad, but when you're a good person and you're living a decent life, the people that wronged you, they destroy themselves. They ruin themselves. They fuck themselves over. They shit on themselves. So I had to really learn that life will get back at those people for you. And you don't have to say a word. You don't have to do any deed. And I I feel like for me that um, a lot of times... In religion, people throw Christian cliches and Christianese, Christian lingo, theological platitudes and Christian cliches because they have the inability to admit, I don't know, I don't understand, I'm angry with you, I'm confused with you, I'm going to embrace this mystery with you, we're going to search for the answers together, and... I'll only talk when you need me to talk and want me to talk. Other than that, I'm going to enjoy the silence with you. I'm going to be gradual with you. I'm going to be patient regarding your recovery and your recuperation, your well-being and your quality of life. And that you can also make it clear that you sit with the mourner and... You say nothing until the mourner says something. And I've had to learn that, you know, healthy silence is the best response to the the unanswered questions and the unfilled blanks that the person who's in mourning will state, will ask, will comment on. And I've had to learn that when it comes to forgiveness, um, you know, I just had to learn that, um, 
I don't have to endanger myself to protect others because I'm endangering others by endangering myself because I refuse to protect myself so there's no protection for others when you think about it. And I've had to learn that I can forgive a person and block their contact information, block their cell phone numbers, block their home phone numbers, block their work phone numbers, block their email addresses, and I can ban them from coming to my home address. I can ban them from coming to my events, the ones I go to and the ones I create and sponsor. I can ban all their social media accounts on all the social media platforms. I can totally live life absolutely apart from them. I can wish them well in my heart, but it's okay not to do life together with everybody. Um, It's okay to walk out of people's lives. It's okay for people to walk out of your life. It's okay to run out of people's lives. It's okay for people to run out of your life. And these, I'm talking about toxic people and evil people. And I've also learned that not everyone you should chase after. Not everybody's worthy of pursuit. Uh, don't be pursuant when it comes to everyone. Um, I've learned that you may have to not do life together with everyone you grew up with, everyone you lived with, everyone in your family, everyone that you was friends with, all your schoolmates, all your neighbors, and all the other relationships you had in your life, like associates, acquaintances, so on and so forth. You may have to keep them from yourself, your mate, your children, um, and just people in your life if you can absolutely fully help it. And then um, I just really... Um, and then I, these other thoughts came to my mind. I recognized that Jesus did not call himself a Christian. Jesus was a Jew and his religion that he practiced was Judaism. He did not practice any other religion, not even Christianity. And that Jesus did not create the church. Jesus' followers created the church. And that Jesus' followers invented Christianity. Jesus did not invent Christianity. Jesus never um, began a religion. Um, other humans began um, the religions. He never began any and all religions himself. And he never started um, any denominations. Other human beings did that. So Jesus wouldn't be adamant about Christianity because it was never his intention for that to happen. Um, Jesus did not even call himself a kingdom disciple. That's what I've learned. And 
I've learned that a lot of that spirit has no gender. Um, in fact, human beings have a habit of characterizing spirit by anthropomorphism, meaning having human characteristic, having human characteristics. So. Human beings don't like genderless spirits, so they give genders human characteristics. They give genders human traits to non-human things like gods, animals, or objects, right? Even celestial figures. And that's why I do not assign gender to any deity, any spirit, any celestial figure at all. And then... um, Another thing I learned about religion is I'll just name theological fallacies because I'm summing up my views on religion. I want to I don't want to spend more than an hour on it. So I'll just tell you, like in the world of religion, you can research what I'm saying. And though I'll just sum up the most common fallacies so I can have more time to talk about other things because there's. A long list, but let's just really keep it as um, healthy, time-consuming as we possibly can. So I noticed that when it came to religion, the most common um, logical fallacies that I faced was straw man. And I'll just define it to you, and you can come up with your own examples when you hear it. In the world of religion, I experienced the logical fallacy of straw men by exaggerating, misinterpreting, just completely fabricating someone's argument. It's much easier to present your own position as being reasonable, but this kind of dishonesty serves to undermine honest, rational debate. In the world of religion, I experienced the logical fallacy of false cause. Many people confuse correlation, things happening together or in sequence, causation that one thing actually causes the other to happen. Sometimes correlation is coincidental or it may be attributable or may be attributable to a common cause. In the world of religion, I experienced the logical fallacy of appeal to emotion. Appeals to emotion includes appeals to fear, envy, hatred, pity, pride, and more. It's important to note that sometimes a logically coherent argument may inspire emotion or have an emotional aspect. But the problem fallacy occurs when emotion is used instead of a logical argument or to obscure the fact that no compelling rational reason exists for one's position. Everyone, bar sociopaths, is affected by emotions, and so appeals to emotion are a very common and effective argument tactic, but they're ultimately flawed, dishonest, and tend to make one's opponents justifiably emotional. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of the fallacy fallacy. It is entirely possible to make a claim that is false, yet argue with logical coherency for that claim. Just as, it, just as it is possible to make a claim that is true and justify it with various fallacies and poor arguments. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of slippery slope. The problem with this reasoning is that it avoids engaging with the issue at hand instead shifts attention to extreme hypotheticals because no proof is presented to show that such extreme hypotheticals will in fact occur. This 
fallacy has the form of an appeal to emotion fallacy by leveraging fear. In effect, the argument at hand is unfairly tainted by substantiated conjecture. Um, I, in the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of ad hominem. Ad hominem attacks can take the form of overtly attacking somebody or more subtly casting doubt on their character or personal attributes as a way to discredit their argument. The result of an ad hom attack can be to undermine someone's case without actually having to engage with it. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of tu kyo ki, pronounced tu kyo ki, kui, pronounced tu quo qui. I corrected myself. Literally translating as you too, this fallacy is also known as the appeal to hypocrisy. It is commonly employed as an effective red herring because it takes the heat off someone having to defend their argument and instead shifts the focus back onto the person making the criticism. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of personal incredulity. Complex subjects like biological evolution through natural selection require some amount of understanding before one is able to make an informed judgment about the subject at hand. This fallacy is usually used in place of that understanding. In the world of religion, experience the logical fallacy of special pleading. Humans are funny creatures and have a foolish aversion to being wrong. Rather than appreciate the benefits of being able to change one's mind through better understanding, many will invent ways to cling to old beliefs. One of the most common ways that people do this is to post-rationalize a reason why what they thought to be true must remain to be true. It's usually very easy to find a reason to believe something that suits us and it requires integrity and genuine honesty. Let's oneself to examine one's own beliefs and motivations without falling into the trap of justifying our existing ways of seeing ourselves and the world around us. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of loaded question. Loaded question fallacies are particularly effective at derailing rational debates because of their inflammatory nature. The recipient of the loaded question is compelled to defend themselves and may appear flustered or on the back foot. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of burden of proof. The burden of proof lies with someone who is making a claim and is not upon anyone else to disprove. The inability or disinclination to to disprove a claim does not render that claim valid nor give it any credence whatsoever. However, it is important to note that we can never be certain of anything, and so we must assign value to any claim based on the available evidence, and to dismiss something on the basis that it hasn't been proven beyond all doubt is also fallacious reasoning. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of ambiguity. Politicians are often guilty of using ambiguity to mislead and will later point to how they were technically not outright lying if they come under scrutiny. The reason that it qualifies as a fallacy is that it is intrinsically misleading. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of the gambler's fallacy. This commonly believed fallacy can be said to have helped create an entire city in the desert of Nevada, USA, United States of America. Though the overall odds of a big run happening may be low, each spin of the wheel is itself entirely independent from the last. So whilst there may be a very small chance that heads will come up 20 times in a row if you flip a coin, the chances of heads coming up on each individual flip remain 50-50 and aren't influenced by what happened before. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of bandwagon. 
the flaw in this argument is that the popularity of an idea has absolutely no bearing on its validity. If it did, then the earth would have made itself flat for most of history to accommodate this popular belief. In the world of religion, I experienced the logical fallacy of appeal to authority. It is important to note that this fallacy should not be used to dismiss the claims of experts or scientific consensus. Appeals to authority are not valid arguments, but nor is it reasonable to disregard the claims of experts who have a demonstrated depth, D-E-P-T-H, of knowledge, unless one has a similar level of understanding and slash or access to empirical evidence. However, it is entirely possible that the opinion of a person or institution of authority is wrong. Therefore, the authority that such a person or institution holds does not have intrinsic bearing upon whether their claims are true or not. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of composition slash division. Often when something is true for the part, it does also apply to the whole or vice versa. But the crucial difference is whether there exists good evidence to show that this is the cause that this is the case. Because we observe consistencies in things, our thinking can become biased so that we presume consistency to exist where it does not. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of not true Scotsmen. In this form of faulty reasoning, one's belief is rendered unfalsifiable because no matter how compelling the evidence is, one simply shifts the goalpost so that it wouldn't apply to a supposedly true example. This kind of post-rationalization is a way of avoiding valid criticisms of one's argument. In the world of religion, experience logical fallacy of genetic. This fallacy avoids the argument by shifting focus onto some things or someone's origins. It's similar to an ad hominem fallacy in that it leverages existing negative perceptions to make someone's argument look bad without actually presenting a case for why the argument itself lacks merit. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of black and white, also known as the false dilemma. This insidious tactic has the appearance of forming a logical argument, but under close scrutiny, it becomes evident that there are more possibilities than the either slash or choice that is presented. Binary black or white thinking doesn't allow for the many different variables, conditions, and contexts in which there would exist more than just the two possibilities of dualness, duality, put forth. It frames the argument misleadingly and obscures rational, honest debate. In the world of religion, I experience logical fallacy of begging the question. This logically incoherent argument authorizes in situations where people have an assumption that is very ingrained and therefore taken their minds as a given. Circular reasoning is bad mostly because it's not very good. In the world of religion, I experience the logical fallacy of appeal to nature. Many natural things are also considered good, and this can bias our thinking, but naturalness itself doesn't make something good or bad. For instance, murder could be seen as very natural, but that doesn't mean it's good or justifiable. Most people would not say murder is natural. They would say it's unnatural because most people are not killers. Um... I, in the world of religion, I experience the, log, the logical fallacy of anecdotal. It's often much easier for people to believe someone's testimony as opposed to understanding complex data and variation across a continuum. Quantitative scientific measures are almost always more accurate than personal perceptions and experiences, but our inclination is to believe that which is tangible to us and slash or the word of someone we trust over more abstract statistical reality. In the world of religion, 
I experienced logical fallacy of the Texas shooter. The false cause fallacy is coined after a marksman shooting randomly at barns and then painting bullseye targets around the spot where the most bullet holes appear, make it appear as if he's a really good shot. Clusters naturally appear by chance, but doesn't necessarily indicate that there's a casual relationship. In the world of religion, I experienced the logical fallacy of middle ground. Much of the time, the truth does indeed lie between two points, but this can bias our thinking. Sometimes the thing is simply untrue, and a compromise of it is also untrue. Halfway between truth and a lie is still a lie. Uh, so, also, the argument from experience is another logical fallacy I experienced in religion, and I can define it off the top of my head. Basically, they try to make their own alleged experiences to justify why all the words of the Bible are true, but there's no peer reviews to confirm that. There's no sound-minded hypotheses to verify that because I think that evidence is... Um, should be repetitive and of attestation. Um, it, it can verify itself well and repeat itself well. And I think about how um, I ha- I've had to also learn that um, well, I'll mention a little bit more. Well, some more of the fallacies. In the world of religion, experience the appeal to probability fallacy. Taking something for granted because it would probably be the case or might possibly be the case. I experienced in religion, I experienced the argument from fallacy, also known as the fallacy fallacy. The assumption that if a particular argument for a conclusion is fallacious, then the, then the conclusion by itself is false. In the world of religion, I experienced the base rate fallacy making a probability judgment based on conditional probabilities without taking into account the effect of prior probabilities. In the world of religion, I experienced the conjunction fallacy, the assumption that an outcome simultaneously satisfying multiple multiple conditions is more probable than the outcome satisfying a single one of them. In the world of religion, I experienced the non-sequitur fallacy where the conclusion does not logically follow the premise. In the world of religion, I experienced the max mass man fallacy, illicit substitution of identicals, the substitution of identical designators in a true statement can lead to a false one. Um, I'll just name the ones. In the world of religion, I experienced the fallacies of affirming a disjunct, affirming the consequent, denying the antecedent, existential fallacy, uh, syllogistic fallacies, affirming conclusion from a negative premise, Fallacy of exclusive premises, fallacy of four terms, illicit major, illicit minor, negative conclusion from affirmative premises, illicit affirmative, fallacy of the undistributed middle, module fallacy, module scope fallacy, argument to moderation, continuum fallacy, correlative base fallacy, suppressed correlative, defendant. Defin- Define this fallacy, divine fallacy, 
double counting, equivocation, ambiguous middle term, mott and bailey, fallacy, fallacy of accent, persuasive definition. I experienced a lot of fallacies in the world of religion. And I experienced the fallacy of something's true because it's true. Like, but you can't say that because that's not saying anything. That's word salad. That's talking in circles. That's circular conversations. And again, that's a form of circular reasoning. Um... And that's and that's just vague mumbo jumbo ramblings too. Um, that's a form of you're like a dull knife just ain't cutting, talking loud and saying nothing. That was James Brown saying something. And then when I think about how I just grew up. And um, I experienced every logical fallacy that exists in the world of religion to sum it all up. So I am so grateful to have left that world. Like, um, I don't watch sermons anymore. Um, I'm not the type that will... um, constantly read uh, Christian books and I don't go out of the way to listen to gospel music all the time Um, for me I can appreciate the melody and rhythm of gospel music a lot of the lyrics though do not um Compliment my situation nor accentuate my greatness within. And as for sermons, the only ones I listen to are Unitarian Universalist sermons. Um, and as for books, I like to read books that are unbiased and just tell the just tell the truth. Um, and give me verifiable, repeatable facts and truths. Um, other than that, I just don't really, like, you know, I'm a person that also doesn't have a heart to be a televangelist like I used, like I was taught to, to be. I just, I'm on a spiritual journey, um. Meaning that I walked away from religion. Not from Christ's likeness, though, just from religion. And a new definition of a Christ's likeness is being appropriately all sides of who you are in the correct context. That's what Christ's likeness means to me. Um. I just decided that to walk away from 
everything in church because it's not church is not this this the houses of worship are not none of them are designed for me um the none of the world systems are designed for me because I don't fit in I'm a misfit I'm a misfit in society and in the world of religion um and then I've learned for me you know as I say in, in closing that um The church world, many of them prosper from discrimination and the conduct of discrimination. So if I'm phobic or bigoted, then the bigots and the phobes will always financially be my suffocation. But when I have to talk about human rights, which is a form of polarization in the church, then that's a false form of criticism from them to me. And that's also their misjudgments upon me and they're not giving me money financially I've learned in church don't take toxic money what they call sin money from people who Christianize double living double dipping double dealing and double mindedness Um, these are the people who demoralize carnality but they Christianize carnality and then another thing I've noticed is my last statement about that world in terms of Bible criticism religion criticism is that the divine is not just experience in church experience the divine in nature like in a park at a restaurant at a movie at an amusement park Anywhere, anywhere and everywhere you take the divine with you you go to church everywhere you go so to limit God to architecture is unholy in and of itself to do and the last thing I'll say about that world is this is that um, that world disseminate you know in the church world abuse all types of abuses all types of viruses are polarization issues in church because they don't want their money to be decreased. They don't want their delusions attacked. They don't want their illusions removed. They don't want their hallucinations to be overcome. They don't want their psychosis to be shredded. The churches ran too much like corporate America. 
the fact that they're in bed together means that they only make it look like they're addressing issues, but not really. When the media and the societal public uh, publicizes the dark side of the church, that it, and it's like put, getting them pulling pulling teeth and nails for them to even say some things about abuse, but they barely touch the subject. They talk around the subject. And when they talk about abuse, they make abuse all about happening to women and girls, but boys and girls and non-binary people, LGBT plus people get abused too. And the fact that men and boys are forbidden from disclosing sexual abuse and disclosing physical abuse, even if it happens to them by some females, they're made to feel like they're ungodly because they lack masculinity. And the first thing I want to have to admit, church is not a completely safe place because violent offenders and abusers love to come to church too. So separating the violent offenders and abusers from everyone else in the church is something that they don't want to do and willing to do. But not everyone in the church is holy. Not everyone in the church is godly. In the church, and I'll say this in closing, the church has its vipers, its bad trees bearing bad fruit, its children of hell, its spiritually blind gods, spiritually blind fools, its foxes like Herod, its Judases, its Pilots, its Caiaphases, its own violent Roman Empire. own hypocrites so that's what I've learned in that kind of world Those are all the rest of the reasons why I totally divorced myself from religion psychologically and why I totally divorced myself from religion physically too. One more thing. Sometimes I wonder, is prayer talking to ourselves? Because when people say that, God talks to them. Shouldn't everyone else hear the audible voice and audible vocal tones of the Supreme Being and not just myself in my head? Because I do not understand why that happens. 
I know I'm not mentally ill, so... I'm just a person who chooses knowledge over beliefs, evidence over hope, and facts over faith. And according to scholars and scientists, the Bible is filled with etymological errors, scientific errors, geographical errors, medical errors, nature errors, animal errors, uh, supposedly celestial figure errors, mistranslations, deletions, additions, things being edited in, edited out, mistransliterations, unsigned, unscientific statements, historical errors, recording errors, scholarly errors, language and linguistic errors and even mathematical errors um, tampering being tampered with and you have the non-canonical scriptures lost books of the bible We don't even have any of the original manuscripts. So when it comes to religion, I don't know what's true. I don't know who's true. I don't know who's false. And I don't know what's false. When it comes to the scripture, all we have is copies of copies of copies. And... Paul talked about anyone who preaches any other gospel other than one I've preached, let them be a curse. Notice he called it his gospel. He did not call it Jesus' gospel. So there were many different gospels in the New Testament. Um, but they, they and Peter make the Gospels theirs instead of Jesus of Nazareth. That sounds cultish to me. Last thing I'll say about religion is that the denominations are no different than gangs and sects, S-E-C-T-S. Why treat Jesus like fraternity and sororities? Those concepts are totally inappropriate when it comes to religion. And why allow all these religions if your religion is supposed to be the one true religion? Why be okay with mass hysteria unnecessarily and mass confusion needlessly? 